All right. Hello. Welcome, everyone. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we're going to be in Mark 10 tonight, as Dr. Spivey said. Um, let's start off by reading the passage. Um, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying hands on them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to gather together to hear your word, to... um, Draw closer to you, Lord, we pray that uh, as we look at this passage, that you would speak through me, that your words, your truth would come out of my mouth, that it would not be my own thoughts, but yours, and Lord, we pray that um, you would be glorified in all that is said and done tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, by way of the Spirit, amen. Kids are a pain, am I right? They're always getting in the way when you're trying to heal people. No, <laughs> no. Um, so this passage is one that most of us have probably heard at some point in time. Maybe you've seen um, some childhood picture of Jesus with the children surrounding him or something like that, or somebody telling the story. Um, but it's fascinating, the more I was looking through it, that there's some parts to it that you don't often remember. Um, it starts off with people bringing those troublesome children to Jesus, except it doesn't say that they're troublesome. Uh, The only person who was a little bit indignant here was Jesus when the disciples were keeping the children away from him. And so the parents were the ones who were bringing the children to Jesus. And it's not just the kids just swarmed out of nowhere, but the parents were coming because they wanted their children to be healed. And so it's not like the kids were playing a game of tag with the disciples trying to like get around them to get to Jesus or something, Um, just trying to sit on Jesus' lap. Uh, But these parents might have been desperate parents looking for a hope for their children. And it's a little bit crazy, but um, sort of to lead into this, prior to getting to seminary or when I came to seminary, I thought I had a pretty good grasp on how to take care of myself, being an adult, understanding how life works and things like that. Um, And I was at seminary, I was learning all these great things about God and life, and I was on that knowledge high, right? Every seminary student thinks he knows everything. Um, But then I got married, and I learned that it's a lot harder to take care of people than you think, (laughs) Um, especially coming um, to taking care of myself even, is that I didn't understand myself as well as I thought I did. But then after the first couple years of marriage, I thought I was getting the hang of things again, and I was like, okay, I just had to adjust. It's fine. I, I understand. But about two years in, then we had kids. The first Dorothy and then Abigail a couple years, uh, 22 months later, to be exact. Um, And kids are quite good at exposing your deficiencies, your your sinful patterns, anything like that. Um, And you don't really know how to take care of others till you literally have to, until there are lives that depend on you. And some might say there's a multitude of books on how to parent, but... As far as I know, each child is, indi- is an individual. They're their own person. You have to treat them as their own 
particular person, and there is no book to train you on how to raise that child. In a sense, every child is like starting from scratch. This is first thing. I honestly don't remember anything we did with Dorothy when it came to raising Abigail. I was like, I don't even know. This is entirely different. I, uh, we tried the same things, but none of it works. So you do the best you can, but maybe you make some mistakes along the way. And back then, there weren't any books on how to help you raise a child, much less maybe doctors to help you fix your mistakes. Um, but these parents were doing the best they could to bring these children to Jesus for whatever reason. But uh, the disciples were kind of hindering them. And we weren't sure exactly why. It's not necessarily said. And I have some speculation that it might be because the disciples might have had a different goal in mind. So this is Jesus, the Messiah. He's come to free Israel from Roman occupation. He's here to save God's people. I mean, Peter, James, and John saw Jesus transfigured before them. And they knew that this was a man from God, that he was something special. And not only that, but they were often bombarded by people. There's always people coming and swarming them and trying to touch Jesus and be healed and things like that. And maybe they just wanted a break. They didn't want these children running up after him and all this. Uh, but whatever the reason may be, children were probably the last people that disciples thought needed to see Jesus, especially if Jesus had these powers to heal the sick, make the blind see, raise the dead. It probably would be those who have been blind longer or who have been sick longer. These are the people that Jesus needs to see. Now, as far as the context of the passage, Dr. Spivey gave a good uh, history of it and things like that a couple of weeks ago on Mother's Day, um, if you want to go back and watch that sermon. Um, but just to kind of keep it in context, let's revisit this idea of where these people are in their mind frame as opposed to our 21st century ideas of what children are. Because these days, people often schedule their lives around children. It's like something you have to pencil into your journal. Um, some people think that children are expendable or parasites, which is awful. Um, others think that maybe the adults are the problem and that children just need to flourish and you leave them alone and let them do whatever until they become their fullest human possible and develop into what they need. But this is all unbiblical. God tells us that children matter and what children are and who children are for us. In Psalm 127, it tells us that children are a heritage from the Lord. Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them, which I've been told means you have at least five, so me and Heather have a little bit more work to do. Um, but <laughs> in having children, it's fulfilling the God, it's actually fulfilling the command of God to be fruitful and multiply. This is one of the first commands that he gave mankind, be fruitful and multiply. And more than that, children are more than just a state of blessing. Uh, when Moses is giving the law of God to the God's people, there's actually a law that's directed towards children. They were a part of the society. They were a necessary part because they continue one's legacy. They carry on the family name. It keeps you from being cut off from the earth, which, as we saw in the Old Testament, is how the enemies of God were treated. Once they were, were in a sinful state and beyond uh, what it was that they needed to do to come back, they were removed from this world. They, um, they had their names cut off. They were no longer part of mankind. And while you think that everyone would want to have children, especially in their cultures, like have respect for children, want them to be around to do things, even in the Old Testament, we see multiple 
instances of cultures and, and communities that would sacrifice their kids. There was the god Molech, who people would often sacrifice their children to, to try and appease the god, to, to have better circumstances for themselves. And if you think that's just old Eastern thought or some wild out of the way, um, even in a westernized civilization, in Greece, there was the Spartans, who if their child wasn't worthy enough to become a warrior or Spartan, then they'd just leave them out to die. They had no respect for their children. But we see in scriptures that God knew us before we were even formed in the womb. God fearfully and wonderfully made each and every person according to his own design. And that design is to be an image bearer of himself. We are to represent God and be here to help serve him. And so God loves mankind and children and all that that entails. But mankind left in their own devices are kind of in opposition. They do whatever they can um, to pass the children off as an inconvenience. In fact, God wants children to be a part of his kingdom. So this next part in reading um, this passage that stuck with me or struck me more than I've read in the past is that it doesn't necessarily say a childlike faith. That's generally what we refer to with this, and that's, that is the idea behind it. However, it's talking about the kingdom of God. In fact, it says, Do not hinder them, for such to such belong the kingdom of God. I truly say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And so we know that Jesus preached a lot about the kingdom of God. That was one of his most um, preached about um, topics. And so what is the kingdom of God? And we have the idea that maybe it's a faith, it's a trust of a child, but I'd say it's even a whole demeanor. Because as I was listening to a commentary discussing the kingdom of God, uh, we see that it's not just a place. Oftentimes we think the kingdom of God, it's heaven. Oh, we'll get to the kingdom of God eventually. But when Jesus came, he said, not only is the kingdom of God coming, but it has arrived through him. And the idea of a kingdom, is, biblically more so, is an idea of being under the authority of, or serving, in this case, a king, as the king, dumb, being under the service of. And so the service of a king means obeying that king's commands. And the kingdom of God is God's commands. It's obeying the commands of God and Jesus. And this means doing the commands of God, which are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a similar one, or a second, that is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The traits of the kingdom of God are exhibited through people doing the will of God. And so uh, me and Heather say the Lord's Prayer with the girls every night, and we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so in that prayer, we are asking God that we might follow and serve him wholeheartedly as the whole host of heaven does. Those who are around God continue singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we see that the kingdom of God here on earth uh, comes when people are obeying the commands of God, when the church is following God's instructions, not only to love God and to love others, but see that in helping widows and orphans or giving to those and expecting nothing in return to love justice, to love mercy, giving with grateful hearts. And when I say churches, I mean you, us, everyone. We are all part of the church. If we are following God, we are members of the body of Christ, those that are following God's will. And it's more than just what you hear and do on Sundays, but it's every day of the week, especially 
when you pick up things throughout the week that might pertain to God. And so as we gather together to edify one another, to build one another up, we continue to exemplify God and fulfilling the commands of God to others by loving them and having the realization that everybody is an image bearer of God, every human being. And so we care for those as we would care for ourselves. And so if we kind of go back to the idea about taking care of children, well, it takes practice. (laughs) We're going to mess some things up. We're not always going to be perfect about it. But the more we try and the more we give ourselves to others, and the more the kingdom of God is coming here on earth. And so how do we receive that kingdom of God teaching? And how do we do it like a child would? Do we just ask why every few seconds? Do we pretend that it's a new thing that we just got to figure out? Maybe, maybe not. But to receive a teaching, I've kind of learned, is to internalize it, is the word they like to say. And that is just to consider it deep enough on a level that it sticks with you, that there's something inset inside of you, that inside your mind, inside your actions, that you do it so often that you kind of forgot how it got there. It becomes a part of you. It's something that you just ingrain into your being. And so um, there's a show that me and Heather like to watch, and I think it gives a really good example of um, kind of accepting a a lesson. Um, So there's an employee who's a bit of a goofball. He he can't do anything right. Um, (laughs) But he's kind of like a dog in his loyalty and obedience. He's just willing to do whatever and uh, follow whatever his boss says. Um, And eventually he becomes the son-in-law to the boss. And he greatly respects this boss. He wishes he might be like him. However, the father-in-law is not too happy about having a, a goofball as a son-in-law. Um, but the father-in-law wants him to, to kind of live out the American dream. He wants him to be able to get a house for his daughter, to have the kids, have money, have all the things that he wants. Um, but it turns out that this employee, the one thing he's actually kind of good at is, is the church things and maybe teaching Sunday school and following God. And at one point, he feels called to the ministry, and he doesn't know what to do, and he, also, he often hasn't had to make decisions for himself. So, to teach him a lesson, the father-in-law one day calls him into his office. And so, this employee runs in, and he says, hey, what can I do for you? He's like, uh, never mind. So, he's like, all right, and walks out. And a few seconds later, the father-in-law is like, hey, come, on, come back here, I, I got something for you. And he's like, oh, okay, and he runs back, ready to go, and he's like, uh, never mind. He's like, okay, this is weird. And so he walks out. And so a third time, the father-in-law says, hey, come on in here. And then the the son-in-law is just like, I'm starting to get confused. This doesn't make sense. Why do you keep calling him in here? And so the father-in-law explains. He says, I called you in here and you came, but you didn't know what what it was I was actually going to call you to do. And so the son-in-law says, yeah, but I knew you wouldn't ask anything of me that I couldn't do. And so the father-in-law says, well, if you think God is calling you to do something, wouldn't you think he knows whether or not you're able to do it also? And so that kind of helped internalize this point to help this, this son-in-law get this idea that is like, if God's calling you to do something, he trusts you can do it. And so he won't call you to do anything that is beyond your capabilities, especially if you're trusting in him. And I think it beautifully demonstrates the idea of how we ought to respond to God's calling and direction in our lives. When he calls, you answer. You run in there. It doesn't matter what he's going to say. You run in there. He's made us, and he's made us with a purpose and a task to do. And I was paraphrasing Micah 6 earlier a little bit when I was talking about the things a church could do. 
And I think that gives a hint to us as to how we can receive the kingdom of God. We are to walk humbly with him. Sin all began and started when we decided we knew better than God, when mankind decided that we could choose what was right, what was wrong, according to our own command and to our own design. In fact, it was to make our own kingdom, in a sense, if you would. But we were wrong, and we suffered the consequences for it. Death occurred because we thought we knew what was best, and our desire to be God um, actually backfired and (laughs) broke our relationship with him, which would give us life. And so how, in our rebellious state of nature, how can we be returned to that state of union with God and to trust in him and to follow these things? Well, God stepped in. In fact, he sent Jesus. That could be this conduit of redemption for us. And he wasn't just a messenger. He wasn't an angel. And he wasn't just God popping down saying, hey, hey, um, let's, let's fix things. But rather, he came as a child. Jesus is the son of God. He was playing the role of a child. And as Jesus grew up, he learned the commands of his heavenly father, and he obeyed them humbly. As he began his ministry and announced that the coming of God's kingdom, he was a living representation of what that meant and what a proper relationship with God would look like, the life that comes from living under the will of God. He brought God's kingdom to earth by spreading the life that God gives to those around him. He was healing the illnesses. He was curing disabilities. He was raising people from the dead. Excuse me. Jesus' ministry wasn't just for those who would follow him or those who just felt justified in their actions and that their good deeds would preserve them and their righteousness before God. No, he emptied himself. He humbled himself. He gave himself so that others might live. And so when we look back at this passage... The children, both the parents and the children, were exactly who God sent Jesus for. Those who had the faith of even the parents who would bring their children to come to learn from God, to learn from Jesus, to follow him, to hear what he had to say, to heal their brokenness. And this is the kind of faith that we see not only in the parents and the children, but also of the four friends that lowered their friend through the roof. Or a centurion with a sick slave who knew that he had people under him and Jesus had authority as well. Or even Jairus, whose daughter had died, but Jesus raised him from the dead. And speaking of Jairus, along the way, there is also the woman with the bleeding for years. These people had this faith that no matter what, if they could come to Jesus, if they could find him, if they could see him, whatever the case may be, that he would bring healing to their brokenness. And God desires that those who would fully trust him with their lives would come to him, no matter who it is. That those who would give up their own desires for picking good and evil for themselves, but rather trust in God's definition of what good and evil would be, those are the ones that he's seeking, because they will have that close relationship with him like a father would to their child. That trusting nature of a child who knows that their parents have what's best in mind for them, but doesn't necessarily always know what that is, that's the posture God would have us approach him with. It is not for those that think they have it all together or that they know what to do with their lives and that um, God is kind of second best in that. It's people who would trust God moment by moment the way a newborn would trust their parents. It's crazy to think that it's been three years since I've had kids, (laughs) but our girls have taught me a lesson that the care 
of a human being is a huge responsibility. There are many nights when that child will be crying for apparently no reason. It'll keep you up when you want to sleep or fussing throughout the day that might just mean they're hungry makes you realize that there's no time off. There's no breaks from helping others, especially those who can't help themselves. And those apart from God are unable to help themselves to come to God. It is only through God that we can uh, be in that relationship with him. And so just as children need their parents for survival, we should cling to God, our Father, in all our ways. As God reminds us in Proverbs 3, we are not to trust in our own understanding, but acknowledge God in all our ways, and he will direct our paths, just as Jesus followed God and trusted in him in all his ways. It's fascinating that in the parallel accounts, that in the other synoptics, that the story is often placed between Jesus teaching about divorce more specifically, the hardness of the hearts of the people when they're trying to justify their own actions, um, even when they say they follow God. And then the other side is the passage of the young man, the rich young ruler, who is coming up to Jesus to figure out, how do I get eternal life? Jesus tells the audience what they think is skewed uh, when it comes to the hardness of hearts. You might think it was this about divorce, but it was not so in the beginning. Your hardness of hearts made it this way. And then we see this passage about letting children come to him and that it's those that are trusting in him that um, belong to the kingdom, that those who follow him wholeheartedly and trust like a child would trust their father. And then he follows it up with somebody who is like, well, how can I get into this kingdom? Um, And showing that it's not what you can do, but it's what God wants for you and what God has done for you. And so... We know what to do now, right? So how do we do it? We imitate Jesus. Uh, Verse 16, again, in that Mark passage, says that he took them in his arms and he blessed them. He laid hands on them. Not only was Jesus saying that these children were worth his time and energy, but he actually followed through by taking care of them. He followed through with his actions. And I think we often use church as an excuse like the Pharisees did, or maybe the rich young man, to, to justify some of our actions that we're not necessarily as bad as we are, um, that you can look at all the good we do instead. But in the end, this is still deciding what is good for ourselves and what is evil. We're establishing our own kingdom, and we don't have that childlike trust in God and following his kingdom. So many times, Jesus would go aside to rest and pray, but he would get interrupted by those seeking a healing or somebody to test him and hear his teachings or something like that. And instead of saying, no, I'm speaking to God, or uh, I just need five more minutes of sleep, he would often have compassion on those people, and he would give of himself for the sake of others. So much so that he literally gave his life for the sake of all of us, that we might be children of God, as he was. Um, This makes me think of the passage in Hebrews, um, where it says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to those who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. To be in the kingdom of God, We need to imitate Jesus to the point of giving ourselves for others with no excuses. So what is it that you consider just good enough that you're doing and might be holding something back about? 
How about what teachings might you be hearing selectively? You might rule out some other ones that God might be convicting you through. Something that you might hear on a Sunday, but you fail to follow through with throughout the week. So as we imitate Jesus in everything, let us accept the kingdom of God the way he did. To trust God wholly, to follow him, to look to him for everything, relying on God as a child relies on their parents. God is the creator and sustainer of everything, and there is nothing we truly need outside of him. We can continue to see the scarlet thread in that Jesus exhibited following God through everything to the point of death, but that couldn't even stop him. If you want to commit yourself fully to following God, we give opportunity every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, for not only an opportunity to respond, but it's an opportunity of accountability. If there's a decision that you need to make, that is between you and God, but the church is the family of God. We are children of God who can support and build you up. And in fact, we're all just trying to get through this together. In fact, we're trying to, this trusting thing as well. So as God commands us to love one another, it's also meant to be in our times of need, as always. So in a moment, Jonathan's going to come up here, and we'll take this time uh, not to just quietly justify the good you think you do, but commit to God and possibly others that you are going to take steps closer to God and following in the directions of God and to fully lean on him as a child does their parent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together. Lord, we pray that you would convict us of all wrong that we're doing, that we would soon repent, that we would turn back to you and stop choosing right and wrong on our own, but rather follow you as a, as a newborn, as a child would rely on their parent, that we would ask you for everything, that we would seek you in everything, that we would look to you for how you would have us to live. Lord, we pray that this is a teaching that would stick with us throughout the week, that it would not be uh, just our own hopes and desires and trying to seek out our own uh, things afterwards, but that um, we would seek you in our day-to-day -day lives and not just be a Sunday, maybe a Wednesday thing. We thank you for this time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, by way of the Spirit. Amen.